All right. Well, hey, if everybody would please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the word of God for the people of God. Go ahead and take a seat. So we are beginning a brand new series today uh, that we're calling the Parables of Jesus, uh, the Good Life. And to introduce uh, today, I want to find out just if you've ever heard the story of Albert Einstein and his, um, his chauffeur. So in his early years, Einstein actually traveled around the country a lot, giving lectures, and his chauffeur would always drive him to all these different locations, and usually he would go in and listen to Einstein deliver his lectures. In fact, uh, he'd heard Einstein deliver one message, one lecture so often, he just got sick of it. Like, he had it memorized, literally. So he said to Einstein, you know, I've heard you give that lecture so many times, I could give it myself. And Einstein said, well, why don't you? So they agreed to switch roles, and the very next night, the chauffeur pretended to be Einstein, and Einstein dressed up like the chauffeur. And the chauffeur delivered this lecture flawlessly, I mean, word for word. But what he hadn't counted on, what they really hadn't discussed, was that there was always a Q&A, a, a question-and-answer time after the lecture. So in this Q&A time, somebody stands up, they ask a really compact, complex question. The chauffeur didn't even understand the question, much less the answer to the question. So there's this awkward silence. I mean, he's just standing there, right? And you're just wondering, what's this guy going to do? And finally, he says these words, you know, that question is so easy. I'm going to let my chauffeur handle that one. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I don't know if that's true, but I like the story, right, nonetheless. Now, listen, when it comes to Jesus, he never showed off his brilliance. You know, we're used to thinking about guys like Oppenheimer or Einstein as some of the most brilliant men that ever lived, but compared to Jesus, friends, they would be in the lightweight category. See, Jesus is the smartest man who has ever, ever lived. Think about it. I mean, he never boasted to people that as God, he could literally change the molecular structure of water into wine or that he knew how to suspend the laws of gravity in order to walk on water. He never said anything to try to impress others with his genius, genius or brilliance. But when you look at the stories of Jesus, you become aware of just how brilliant he really, really was. Because when Jesus wanted to communicate a complex truth about the kingdom of God, he didn't write out equations, he told stories. 
In fact, about a third of his words are stories, or the Bible calls them parables. There are about 40 of them in the Gospels. The idea of a parable is that Jesus would take an occurrence, you know, from everyday life, something that people saw every single day, and throw that story alongside a truth about the kingdom of God. In fact, that's what the word parable means. It means to throw alongside. So uh, ever see a poor woman? And desperately searching for her lost coin, or a shepherd desperately trying to save his lost sheep. Well, Jesus would say, if you've ever seen one of those two things, you know a little bit more about God's heart for lost people. He would spin these incredible everyday stories that just illustrated these incredibly powerful truths about the kingdom of God. I mean, he, he told stories about corrupt judges, stubborn widows, and buried treasure, and lazy employees, and bad debts, and noisy neighbors. And when he told these stories, people got it. They understood the kingdom of God for the very first time. They didn't need a college degree to get it. They didn't need a seminary education. And for over 2,000 years, these stories have stretched the greatest minds um, in the world, and they've sustained and fed some of the simplest these stories have pierced the hardest hearts. They shape the greatest souls that have ever walked on this planet. And that's why right up until June, we're going to invest ourselves in some of these stories. And I believe God is going to encourage and grow some of us like never before. And here's why. Isn't it true? Stories are just powerful. They're just powerful. I mean, stories are the stuff that life is made of. I mean, people are moved and touched in incredible ways through a good story. How many of you have ever seen a really good movie, maybe even a movie that made you cry just a little bit? Yeah. You know why? You know, a good movie is nothing more, right, than a good story. See, we resonate with stories. They really are the, the stuff of life. And in telling the story that we just read, Jesus is going to point us to the solution. So he tells, tells a story right about a tree that fails to produce fruit. And the failure of that tree to produce fruit is going to tell us a lot about our own failures, about our own shortcomings. And so let's read the words together. Luke Chapter 13, verse 6. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. He went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. Now, this passage starts with a point. I think any of us or all of us, right, who've ever tried to start something, whether it be a relationship or a marriage or a business, you know, it's a point we can all identify with because there's a moment, maybe even a season, where our progress gets halted, you know, where we stall out. Maybe some of us are in a season where we're not growing the way we'd like to be growing. Or, um, you know, we're so caught up in a cycle of um, failure and then promising God will do better and then running right to the same thing over and over and over again. And what happens when we get in these seasons or have these moments is we want to quit. We want to throw in the towel, right? I mean, maybe you're here this morning and you're in a season of life where you just think your marriage should be further along than it is. You know, there should be more fruit. Maybe you're in a season where you feel kind of stalled out spiritually. Like 
you, you want to be closer to Jesus. You can think of a time when you were, but these days he just seems more far away. Um, you know, maybe like that tree, you think, well, hey, I should be bearing more fruit, you know, in my life. You think to yourself, that gummit, I should be further along than this. And when we feel this way, when we say these kinds of things to ourselves, well, we're just tempted to quit. We're tempted to give up, right? See, this is about being stuck in a place and feeling powerless to change. And all of us know that feeling. And then there's a reaction we have to that. There's a reaction we have to being stuck and feeling powerless to change. Look at verse 7. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even take up the soil, right? So he says, listen, the, the owner of this vineyard comes along. He says, I've come here for three years now. I've been looking for fruit. I've been patient, but there should be fruit, but there isn't. I mean, it's a fig tree. Fig trees should produce fruit, right? So why keep trying? This, let's just cut it down and let's just start over. Now, here's how this relates to you and I, you know, Maybe you have a standard for yourself, or maybe you're aware, or maybe you failed to live up to, you know, to God's standard. And the natural reaction when we do that is to say something like, you know what? I'm worthless and I'm useless. Somebody should just cut me down. I mean, why am I even taking up space here? You know, I keep promising God I'll get better or do better, but I don't. I mean, like, how can I call myself a parent? After I just went off on my kid like that, you know, how can I call myself a leader? Like, how can I, how can I call myself a follower of Jesus? I mean, I don't deserve the air I'm breathing. Somebody should just come along and cut me down. And here's why I'm saying this. It is natural in the face of sin and failure to feel anger, guilt, and shame. All of us feel that way, whether we're disappointing ourselves, whether we're disappointing somebody else, or whether we're disappointing God, right? We're all there. Now, listen, here's the thing, though. See, there's a lot of people, maybe some of you, and they think this is what Christianity is all about. Like, this is their only experience with following Jesus. There is a standard I cannot meet. In other words, the tree, the standard for the tree is right. It should be bearing fruit. I feel guilty for not meeting that standard, and therefore, I'm going to try harder. And that's the cycle they live out over and over. And worse, they think... That's normal. They think that's what Christianity is supposed to be. So the idea is this. God's got rules. I screwed up. I feel bad. I will try harder next time. Now, I want you to notice a couple things about this story. Notice in our story that the owner of the vineyard has every right to cut down that tree. He's doing the right thing, right? It's not that that's a bad standard. A fruit tree should bear fruit. See, this isn't a story about a standard that shouldn't exist or doesn't exist. And what we have to acknowledge is that God, represented as the vineyard owner here, has every right to set a standard. He's God. He owns not just the vineyard, but everything, right? But it's so sad 
How many people think this is the premise of Christianity? God has a standard. I fall short. I feel bad. I will try harder. See, listen, here, please hear this. This is not the way of a follower of Jesus. But a lot of people think it is, see? Cut it down. Why does it even take up space? But then something's going to happen in verse 8 that is going to change this story and that dramatically changes your story and mine. Let's read it together. Because an advocate is going to step in. An advocate is going to step in and it's going to change everything. Verse 8. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it. I'll go beneath the surface and I'll fertilize it. See, right when the judge is about to cut down this tree for failing the standard, right? This advocate steps in and says, oh, not so fast. Like, like let's give this a little more time. I mean, let me dig around beneath the surface. Let me give that tree some nutrients to help it grow. Now, the amazing thing about this story, just like your story, is this advocate has a name, and his name is Jesus. He steps in, and the very first thing that he says to you and I, when we've blown it, when we've failed, when we've sinned, he doesn't say, well, you know, you should get your act together. Or, you know, you should be further along by now. Or you should know better. No. The first thing he does is he begins to represent you before the judge. He begins to represent you before the owner of the vineyard, see? And, and when the advocate steps in, this is the moment when people begin to change. This is the moment when transformation happens, see? I don't know where you are. Maybe you're in the throes of your own cycle of sin and you just can't stop. You feel powerless, you know, to stop, powerless to change. And so you promise God, God, I promise I will do better next time. But then you find yourself right back. And so you say, like the owner of this vineyard, maybe I should just cut myself down. I'm not even sure I deserve to take, you know, to breathe in the air that I'm breathing. So how do you break that cycle? You invite the advocate in to speak on your behalf. In other words, you invite Jesus into that cycle to speak and act for you. You don't just try harder. You acknowledge you can't but he can. And so you invite him into that and you give him access to your heart, allowing him to dig down deep inside of you. The soil in this story represents your heart. It represents my heart. Soil represents the heart in a number of stories that Jesus tells. And that's what it represents here. And here's what I love about this. Listen, when it comes to Jesus, there's no such thing as superficial change. There's no such thing as change, you know, that, that doesn't go deep. You know why? Because when Jesus wants to change you, he goes down deep. He digs. See? So the, 
the moment where transformation begins then is the moment where you give Jesus access to do that digging. See? When you quit shutting him out, and this means every one of us in the room have to ask ourselves a really, really important question. You ready? Am I willing to let Jesus begin to change my heart? Am I open to that? Like, like, am I open to him digging beneath the surface to bring about real and lasting change in my life? And here's how he's going to do it. I'll give you a preview. He's going to do that with something called the truth about you and me. And that means that you and I have to be willing to face those truths or that truth. So here's what it's going to look like. Jesus is going to start to dig, and he's going to get, he's going to get in there, and he's going to say, hey, I found some greed in here. I'm going to give you the nutrients, and I'm going to take the greed out, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you the nutrients so that you can grow some generosity up in here, right? And the greed goes, and the generosity comes. Or he's going to say this, hey, I found some selfishness under there. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that out, and I'm going to begin to grow a love, a genuine love and sincerity for other people, where you literally learn to think of them above yourself. See? He's going to say, hey, man, this, this part of your heart is really, it's really bad. I mean, you know what I found over here? I found some bitterness that you've been clinging to and it's making your whole life toxic. That's going to have to go. I'm going to have to dig that up. And I'm going to take that bitterness and I'm going to replace it with some forgiveness. You know? See, we have to be willing to give Jesus access to, into our hearts. But beyond that, then we need to be willing to hear the truth about what Jesus finds when he starts to dig around in there. Some of us, oh, you know, there's a pocket of lust over here. I'm going to take that lust and that love that you have for sex and I'm going to re replace that with a love for people. See, this is the way that God works. And then I want you to notice the second thing that Jesus says he's going to do. He's not just going to dig. He's not just going to give us superficial change. He's going to dig deep. But look at the second thing he says he's going to do. He says he's going to give us the nutrients that we need to grow. He's going to apply some fertilizer to the tree. Now, a tree can't fertilize itself, right? It needs outside intervention. Listen, you and I can't change without the outside intervention of Jesus. Now, this, when we start to talk about the nutrients for growth in the spiritual life, this is where something called grace and mercy start to enter the conversation. This is when it starts to get really, really good. See, because a lot of people hear the word grace, right? And they go, well, that means God forgives me, he accepts me. And that's true. Grace does that, but it's so much more. It literally means unmerited favor. Now, some of you hear that and you shrug, right? It's like big deal. Like, unmerited favor, okay, got it. So here's the thing, though. 
How many of you, you don't even have to raise your hand. I'll just kind of ask the question. I'll raise my hand. How many of you have ever felt that you were undeserving of God's grace? Yeah, listen, if your hand's not up, we want you to stand up because we want to we see what denial looks like. <laughs> it's all of us, right? It's, it's everybody in the room. But listen, hear this, friends. It wouldn't be grace if you deserved it. The fact that you don't deserve it is what makes it grace. And so when you screw up, you can say, hallelujah, I qualify for the grace of God. See, what, yeah, grace means we can't earn it. If we earned it, it becomes something else. And listen, when grace gets liberally applied to my life, it allows me to grow. It allows me to flourish. In the same way that fertilizer provides nutrients for a plant, grace provides the ingredients for me to grow. It's true that we're forgiven by grace, but friends, we also grow by grace. We become by grace. And often when people get stuck, they try to get unstuck through their own efforts apart from grace, apart from the nutrients that God himself provides. And let me just say, when it comes to nutrients, let me just tell you some ways that God begins to liberally sprinkle grace out into your life. Number one is worship. Like when we do what we were doing together a few minutes ago, gr worship grows a heart of gratitude. It grows a heart of faith because you start to realize as you're worshiping, wow, God is, his story is so much bigger than mine. God is so much bigger than me. Like I am small and he is big. And friends, there is a freedom in that. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm saying that, that that's just a truth that if you'll embrace it, it leads to incredible, incredible freedom. See? So uh, worship. I'll tell you another way. God liberally sprinkles grace into our life through the word of God. This is why we do things like read our Bibles and talk through our Bibles and teach through our Bibles and pray through our Bibles and offer to give away Bibles. It's because we believe that it's through God's Word that we're enabled to grow. We're called to grow and change. Growth and transformation are the currency of the Word of God. And I'll tell you another way He liberally sprinkles grace through your life. It's just through prayer. That's how we access the grace of God. And not only that, we have the Holy Spirit who's the dispenser of the grace of God in all of its forms, right? He doesn't send us or leave us to ourselves. We'll talk about some stories related to that one down the road. Um, service. He liberally sprinkles grace into our life when we serve others. You know why? When we have a ministry that we do. You know why? Because in that moment, you're being a dispenser of the grace of God. You're scattering the grace of God into the hearts and the minds of others. So there's, you know, service. Um, on and on and on, all these different ingredients, right? But what I need you to hear me say is that God's grace isn't superficial. It digs down deep beneath the surface. So listen, quit trying to change on your own. Uh, yeah, because he wants to do the digging. He wants to do the fertilizing, fertilizing. And the reality is you need him to do that. I need him to do that.
And then look at the final thing the advocate says. First, he digs below the surface. Then he brings along the nutrients to grow. And then he says to the owner, hey, he doesn't say it in these words, but this is what he says. He says, let's be patient with this tree. Like, let's be patient with Brad. Like, let's be patient with Tony. Let's be patient with Mary. She's a work in progress. Let's give her more time. Yeah, let's give her a lot more time, right? But here's the beautiful thing. He says, you know what? If I dig around, if I dig down deep into Mary, if I dig down deep into her, and I liberally apply grace into her life and into her heart, God, I think she's going to come around. Pretty sure of it. He tells us that God is patient. God is way more patient with you than you are yourself. And even better news, God is way more patient with you than your spouse is, too. And that is good news, right? Because we can get pretty impatient with one another. Now, listen, when I was growing up, and our, uh, when I was growing up and I was naughty, uh, this happened to me. When my kids were growing up and they would do something naughty, maybe you'd do this in a classroom and a teacher would do this to you. Uh, anybody know what it was? It was a timeout, not a spanking. Okay, a timeout. Um, and here's what we do. Here's what we do in our relationship with God. So we say, well, God, I blew it. You know, I, I didn't meet the standard. Man, I'm, I'm just not worthy to take up, to breathe the air. I'm breathing. I mean, God, I'm just going to put myself, you know, over here in time out. I'm just going to put my nose against the wall and in the corner because, God, I'm sure you don't want to look at my face right now. I'm sure you don't want to hear from me right now. And we put ourselves in time out. And I just need you to hear me say, Jesus has already taken your time out. You don't, have to, you don't have to take a time out from God. God never tires of seeing your face. You know why? Because Jesus took the punishment upon himself that you and I deserved. See, this is the truth of the gospel. Jesus is our advocate. He stepped in when nobody else would and when nobody else could. He took your punishment, my punishment, so that we could be pardoned. And he is always working beneath the surface, behind the scenes of your life and mine to give us opportunities to grow, to be shaped and molded and changed. Every interaction, every difficulty, every hardship, giving you the nutrients that you need to grow, not just to get through them, not just to survive, but to thrive. Look what so there's an incredible verse that really teaches this parable. It's 1 John 2, and I, I want to read it. Let's read it together, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our few minutes together. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, there's the standard, right? This isn't a story about a standard that shouldn't exist, right? There's the standard. Uh, you know, I don't want you to sin. I want you to be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. And God has a right to say that in the same way the owner of the vineyard has the right to say that the tree should be cut down. But what does God do when we sin? 
This is so incredible. Here's what he says. But if anybody does sin, there's a better way to say that. When you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what does God do when we sin? Well, he's, the advocate steps in. He begins to argue, right? He begins to make a case. And I want you to notice here, when it comes, another word that the Bible, you could, another way you could translate this word advocate is attorney. Now, remember early in the message we talked about the brilliance of Jesus. Of course, if you're going to hire an attorney, you want a smart attorney. That's true. But more than that, right, more than you just want your attorney to be smart, you want them to be able to make your case. You want them to be able to plead your case. Listen, when it comes to you and me and our standing before God, Jesus makes a case. And I'll tell you a couple of reasons why. They're right here in this verse. We're told first that Jesus is the righteous one. The righteous one. And so what's so incredible about this phrase that, you know, he is the righteous one is it really tells us that uh, it isn't just that he argues for us righteously. It's that he himself is righteous and he brings his righteousness to bear for us you might say it this way he gives it away that's what the next phrase means when it says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for our sins but also for the sins of the whole world this is so mind-blowing here's what this means this means that when jesus goes before god as your advocate your attorney hear me He's not asking, he's not tugging on God's heartstrings. It's not enough for a lawyer to look at a jury and tug on their heartstrings, just try to get them to make an emotional decision, right? Jesus isn't tugging on God's heartstrings. In other words, he's not going to God and saying, God, I know they blew it again. I know they've told you a thousand times. God, if you would just be a little more merciful and give them time, Maybe they'll change. That is not what Jesus is arguing. He is not appealing to God's mercy. He's appealing as your advocate to God's justice, to his sense of fairness. Follow with me. See, Jesus took your punishment and mine. Here's the way Jesus argues before the Father. Hey, God, remember, you already punished me for her sin you already punished me for his sin it wouldn't be fair god to punish two people for the same sin since you already punished me they get to go free since i went to prison for them they don't have to go to prison that's the way Jesus argues, because he is the atoning sacrifice for the world. And if I were going to 
if I were really going to kind of dumb that down, you know what I would just say? Because Jesus is your attorney, it's all good. It's all good. He's your advocate. And so will you invite him to step in? Will you give him access? Because when you give him access, I'll tell you two things right away. He's going to dig and he's going to dig deep. And he's going to tell you the truth, but he's going to do it lovingly. He's going to do it gently. He's going to do it kindly, right? He, that's just the way God works. And it gets even better to me because, uh, and we're going to close with this thought and then we're going to respond together, but uh, it gets even better because the Bible says that when someone says yes to Jesus, when they become a follower of Jesus, um, they get placed in him. So if you've said yes to Jesus, you have been placed by God into Jesus Christ. And I want to illustrate what that means and what that looks like. So I couldn't think of a better illustration for sin than a nail like this because it was my sin and it was your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. So this is really what you might call the dark side of sin. And the Bible says that um, this is very similar to the kind of nail that would have been used to nail Christ to the cross. In fact, they would have taken it and put it about right here so that his arm could support. If they just nailed it through his hand, you see, his, his hands wouldn't have been able to support the weight of his body. Because the thing with a cross is you have to slowly asphyxiate on it. You get more and more tired. You can't pull yourself up anymore every time you pull yourself up it hurts because you're pulling on nails that have been driven into your body and my sin did that this represents our sin but the bible says that when we say yes to jesus that we get placed in christ and so what that means is that when god looks at you and God looks at me, he doesn't see. Do you see your sin anymore? He doesn't see that sin. You know what he sees? He looks and he sees the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of the righteous one. Being in Christ is so powerful and so transforming. And so I just want to invite you, and, and again, this is all grace, right? This is all God, just dash a grace here, sprinkle a grace there. That's just what God does. And friends, when grace enters the equation, people start to change, and here's why. So years ago, I saw a movie, one of my favorite movies, starred Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt. She was a restaurant waitress, and he was a guy that was kind of annoying, kind of um, on the edge a little bit, hard to kind of know and tolerate. Well, at one point, he looks at her, and he says, you know, I just know that when I'm with you, you make me want to be a better man. Friends, that is what the grace of God does. It may... You, like, you don't want to grow or get better because you have to. 
you want to grow and get better because you're responding to the grace of God. It makes us want to be a better man or a better woman. And one of my other favorite lines from that movie, at one point, Helen Hunt is lamenting the weirdness of her boyfriend. And she says to her mother, I just want a normal boyfriend. And her mom looks at her and says, honey, there's no such thing as normal. I love that line. It's true, right? Because none of us are normal. Everybody's uh, broken in some way. It's just that we're broken differently. We just need God's grace applied a little differently. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray that in the weeks and months to come that you will have a powerful encounter with this advocate named Jesus and that you will come to know his grace in a mighty and a powerful way, in a way that would not just transform your life superficially, but change your life. So let me pray that for you. God, I just pray for all of us. Lord Jesus, thank you that when we most need an advocate, when we most need help, you step in, and that's why we call you Savior. And so we give you thanks and praise for this thing called grace. We don't understand it. We know we don't deserve it. And yet we are so grateful that that's precisely why it's called grace. And so we give you thanks and praise. And I pray that everyone in this room, one way or another, supernaturally or naturally, that each person in this room would have a powerful encounter with grace in the days and weeks to come. Change us, Lord Jesus. We give you access to our heart. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, so we're so privileged here. You know, every, uh, the first Sunday of every month, we get to take communion together. And it's an opportunity really just to remember um, what we've been talking about, to remember what Jesus has done for us. And you're going to notice that there are tables here at the front. There are tables in the back and so we just want to invite you to go forwards here or backwards there get that but when you receive the elements when you take the bread when you take the cup uh, you can go one of two places you can either go back to your seat uh, or you can come here for the purposes of our talk the rest of the morning we'll call this an altar and you can so you can come to the altar And but w whether you go to your seat or whether you come to the altar, either way, what I want you to do is just hold on. I want you to keep that bread and hold on to that cup. Don't eat it. Don't drink it. And then I'm going to come back up after we've worshipped for a few minutes, after we've all gotten our, um, you know, the bread and the cup. And, I'm, and we're going to take it together. And it's such a beautiful thing together. So yeah, let's just uh, once more pray uh, for God to be in this time. So God, once again, we just thank you that you're here. We ask you to work and move. Help us remember you well. Help us remember your body offered up. Help us remember your blood shed. And help us remember with great, great gratitude and great, great joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. And so come and receive. The altar is open.
And on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Jesus together. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, let's remember. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May it be so. Amen. Oh, what grace that you would see me as your child and as your friend. Safe, secure, and Empty hands. 
Thank you, Father. Hey, look at someone standing to your left and say, God is good. That's good. <laughs> it worked first service, too. I feel like I triggered at least half of you. That was good. That was good. We'll finish it. God is good. And all the time. Amen. Look to the person to your right and say, God is gracious. That didn't trigger as many people. Hey, listen, go be a light in Shelby County. Use what we've learned today um, and uh, shine that light. God bless you. We'll worship with you next weekend.